You are listening to the podcast series for Mission to Amish People. Mission to Amish People is a Christian ministry with a threefold purpose of evangelizing and discipling Amish and former Amish, helping Amish people who leave their communities by helping them transition into the English world, and by presenting the ministry to churches nationwide. You can find out more about Mission to Amish People by going to their website at www.mapministry.org. The following is an audio conversation with John Regeer on the topic of moral addictions. This is part three of four. Um, but when somebody comes to total freedom, say a man comes to total freedom, say if he sees a woman anywhere, he, he shouldn't even have as much of the thought that she looks nice, even if no. she does, he doesn't actually undress her or nothing in his mind. Right. What happens in my office is men, you know, I ask them, how many hours a day do you lust? And often they'll say two to three hours a day. They're focused on other women. When I lead them through this three-step process, after I'm finished at the end of the week on Thursday or Friday, I'll ask them a question. How much time did you spend lusting in the last 24 hours since we met yesterday? And they'll look at me and say, I never thought about it. I said, where were your focus? He says, I was focused with my wife emotionally, and we were having too much fun. Now, the, the people were still out on the streets that they could have lusted after. Nothing changed out there. What changed was their heart connection with their wife. And my personal feeling is the biggest problem we have in church is husbands and wives are not emotionally connected. In fact, when I pastored, I only remember two couples that were emotionally connected in all the churches I pastored, which is three. And you very seldom see couples connected. Nobody, nobody that comes into my office is emotionally connected. Could you Go ahead. find being emotionally connected with a husband between a husband and a wife? Emotional connection is where um, a husband knows his wife's emotional needs and he connects to meet those, and he knows what her pain is and he cares about that every day. So if a wife has a need for attention, he's meeting that need. If a wife has been rejected. Uh, had a perfectionist mother, couldn't meet her mother's expectations, that he cares about that. And emotional connection is understanding and caring. It's what Ephesians 5 says, um, a husband is to cherish, to nourish his wife. Cherish means uh, to care for whatever her emotional needs are. And in reverse of that, the wife connects to care about the husband's need. Maybe the husband needs acceptance. I can, can put in one word what they need emotionally. Um, my need would be for acceptance. My wife's need is for attention. And every person has a core pain issue. And when you ask a person, put in three words what your deepest pain is, they can define that. Now, what I do in my office is I lead them in a prayer to disconnect all that pain, whatever it was, from their childhood or from their past. And what happens is when a, a couple gets emotionally connected where they're spending 20 to 30 minutes each day connecting with each other on an emotional level, the husband loses interest in pornography. Now, he still has to go through the process of repenting uh, of each of his moral areas. Um, and we need to define what didn't he receive as a child and what pain did he experience and resolve that in order for his heart to open. If you have any more questions regarding what I just said with emotional connection. How does premarital sex affect a couple's relationship? 90% of couples that get married have had premarital sex since 1940, um, so we have a problem. Uh, about 98% of the couples coming into my office have had premarital sex, which means before they begin their marriage, 
they both have guilt, they both blame each other, and any couple that's involved in premarital will start fighting. Um, They will reject each other, they will pull their hearts away from each other. Communication with each other and emotional connection will stop, and so they don't get to know each other once they start having sex or arousing each other. They will lose spiritual interest, and they will develop a pattern of sex and guilt. What that means is a wife will experience sex outside of marriage, which produces guilt. So when they get married, often a wife will not want sex, but she'll be attracted to a neighbor because having sex with a neighbor is sex and guilt, the same as her husband had with her before marriage. And often what I find is couples that are premaritally involved, the wife or the husband lose interest sexually within the marriage. And... um, So those are some of the consequences a person experiences. I have a sheet with 17 consequences. If anyone would like a copy of those 17 consequences of premarital sex, I'd be glad to send it to them. But that, generally speaking, is what happens. So a couple getting married begins the first day of their marriage with these 17, 80% of these 17 consequences. And that's why marriages are struggling today. All right, we have another question from Mr. Aguirre. Go ahead and ask your question. Okay, I hope it's okay that I'm a lady. <laughs> fine. Plenty fine. Okay. Um, There's probably more ladies on the phone than men, so don't feel <laughs> Um, I have a friend. She has had what would be considered an unusual desire, I guess you'd say. Um, and she's very open about it. Um, she's had a lot of counseling. Most counselors are telling her that... Um, she had to have been abused as a child. Um, she's uncovered everything that she could possibly remember, which isn't much, has taken care of all of that. And um, the desire just is still there. It's not, it's not leaving. She does not want to be abused. She does not have much memory of any um, type of abuse. She seems to have at least some self-confidence. She seems to know who she is, you know, in Christ and um, wouldn't allow herself to be in an abusive relationship, but yet she has this, you know, this um, thing that just doesn't go away. Okay. I'm just going to assume the fact that it's better not to mention that unusual desire. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some illustrations, okay? Okay. Women, women that have had unusual desires and how I actually helped them resolve them. Okay. Um, I had one lady that had been married for 25 years, and um, all of her married life she had had, well, since childhood, she had been aroused by men's lips and didn't understand why and did just assumed everybody had that problem. Um, she married, uh, became a Christian in high school along with her uh, husband, and they went to Bible college and went to the mission field. On their honeymoon, she emotionally went into a fetal ball the first night of their marriage and emotionally locked up and just started screaming, don't touch me, don't touch me. Her husband, being a gentleman, didn't understand what she was experiencing and um, was patient with her and for 25 years of marriage was patient. And she disassociated every time they were physically involved in 25 years of marriage. I had a counseling meeting here where I spoke on how to pray to resolve issues, and she's a professional counselor, and she came. And she listened to me because she was interested in using prayer in her counseling. And she came for a week-long training, which we have four times a year in our office. And uh, as I was explaining how to pray, she all of a sudden realized and a puzzle came together. Her father had sexually abused her 
during one of his drinking of alcohol episodes through oral sex, and she realized that the problem she had was a childhood problem probably at 18 months where she had no memory of it, and that desire to be aroused by men's uh, lips was caused by that. She went home that day and prayed through um, the way I encourage a person to pray through their sexual abuse, and she lost her problem. Uh, that night, her husband says, what's different about you? You're just totally different now. And she says, well, I prayed about something that all of a sudden I remembered. Now, I've had a number of women that don't remember anything about their sexual abuse because they emotionally blocked it. I call it disassociation. And what I have to do with a person like that, we have women that would be more than glad to help this individual come to freedom if she needs that help, is I sit down with them and I ask them, what is the issue that you have or what is the unusual desire that you have? And then I take that um, and understand their childhood and I try and put a puzzle together. Usually it takes me about five days, three hours a day working with a person to find it. But we do that through prayer and understanding the issues. And um, I'm an outside person looking in to say, okay, where is this coming from? I did the same thing with a man who had homosexual desires. I asked him what his desires were. He told me. I went back to his history, found out the cause, and led him in a prayer, and he lost that desire for homosexuality. That was four years ago. Um, now, with people that don't have memory, it's a little bit harder. You have to be more patient, and you have to try and understand, okay, what happened with this person. Uh, maybe I can give you another illustration, then if you have more questions, you can ask me. Okay. A lady, a lady came into my office, and she said... Um, Every time you say sexual abuse, I, I get an upset stomach. Would you quit saying that? And I said, sure, I'd be glad to stop saying that. I said, would you like to know if you've been abused? And she says, yeah, I would. So we just pray, Jesus, if I've been abused, um, would you show me? And the next day I asked her, did Jesus prompt anything in your heart? And says, my uncle um, came to my mind last night. And so I led her in a prayer. This is Tuesday. We start on Monday, Tuesday. Jesus, every time John uses those two words, um, I get upset to my stomach and my uncle's Mac comes back who lived with us when we were young. Uh, Jesus, if he was involved, could you show me? And uh, she starts shaking in my room. And so I put down on the puzzle anxiety, abuse, anxiety, uncle. And uh, Jesus, could you make a little girl clean from that? Can you make her heart, heal her heart from that? And Jesus picked up a little girl in her picture and just calmed her. And the next day, I, I went back, and I was a little bit fearful because she was so anxious the day before. Jesus, could you hold a little girl again that was emotionally damaged through whatever happened with the uncle? And Jesus took her down to the basement, and there was a washer and dryer with a little girl 18 months old. And I had enough for the whole picture. And I led her in a prayer to disconnect it. And on Friday, I asked her, if I use the word sexual abuse, does that upset your stomach? And she said, no, it doesn't do that anymore. She was free. The two girls I just mentioned, both of them didn't remember their stuff. You can actually abuse a six-week-old girl. And she will feel violated by that. And later on, that will affect her. You can abuse a child in the womb because I've had a mother wanting to abort a daughter and the daughter felt rejection and didn't cry for 40 years. So uh, that pain stays with a person. Now, in this case, I don't know what the issues are, 
but as a counselor, I just am patient. I walk back and help them put a puzzle together, uh, just like I did with the lady I just described. Mm-hmm. Now, do you have any other questions? That's the process I use. Um, you know, on the phone, it's probably not appropriate to identify the specific issues, but uh, if you want to call me personally 30 any, any morning in my office, I'd be glad to talk with you about personal issues that this person has. To clarify, though, Mr. Rigger, you're not on Eastern Standard Time, correct? Yeah, we're at Mountain Standard Time, so we're in Colorado okay. Springs, so, it's, so you have to call 1030 if it's two hours difference. Rigger's phone number at the office is 719-572-5550. There's a couple more questions. A few more questions from Mr. Aguirre. I got addiction myself. I'm a alcoholic. And, okay. And uh, I was wondering now uh, how how to get off or uh, stuff like that. Okay. An alcoholic addiction. Everybody that continues to drink is covering pain. <clears throat> and so what you have to do is you have to go back with the individual who's an alcoholic and help them understand what pain they're covering. Now. It's no different than a moral addiction, except in a moral addiction, a person's going back to pornography or homosexuality, whatever. In alcohol, a person is using alcohol to cover their pain. Now, the last man that was in my office that had an alcohol problem, I asked him, how many beers does it take before you don't feel any pain? He said, five beers. I said, what pain did you experience? And he says, if anyone is critical of me or angry at me, rejects me, that drives me crazy and I can't stand it. So when that happens at work, I immediately want to get a drink. Or when my wife is critical, I, I want to get a drink. So I helped him understand what his abuse issue is and helped him resolve it. Now let me just use an illustration. Um, two counselors from Chihuahua, Mexico came to watch counseling. And uh, they're part of a group of Mennonites in Mexico. There's 120,000 of them there. And 80% of the men are alcoholics. And he watched counseling in my office, and I showed him basically in my office how to understand and care about the pain people have. He took it back to Mexico, and the first man that came into his office on Monday was an alcoholic. And he started saying, the problem you have is not alcohol. The problem is you have pain that you're covering. Can we work together to find that pain? And I want to lead you in a prayer to resolve it. By noon, the fellow had stopped drinking and didn't want anything to do with alcohol because he had had peace in his heart. And this counselor called me and he says, boy, this works fast. I can't believe this. And uh, the individual now is training pastors in this process of how to understand these people that are drinking because the problem is not alcohol. The problem is the pain that they're covering with alcohol. It's the same thing with pornography. Pornography is not the core issue. It's the emotional need or the emotional pain that was covered that they're covering with pornography, and you have to go back and take the time to find out what that is and then lead a person in a prayer to resolve that and then get somebody to meet that need. So in your situation, what I would encourage you to do is to call one of our offices and and get an appointment and uh, sit down with a counselor and identify if you were emotionally loved or not loved, whether you have pain that you're reacting to and what pain would actually cause you to drink and then have the counselor lead you in a prayer to resolve that core issue. And what happens is if somebody starts caring for your heart, you don't need to drink to cover your pain anymore. So that's that's the process. It's a different process, totally different, but it works. Thank you for listening to this podcast series. 
Check out Mission to Amish People online at www.mapministry.org or keep up to date with us on Facebook and Google+. Thank you again and have a blessed day.